The dump of tools linked to the Equation Group, which is widely believed to be the U.S. National Security Agency, by another group calling itself the Shadow Brokers, has been triggering existential technology despair. If the NSA or any other top-flight intelligence agency can hack into any piece of technology that enterprises currently rely on, what hope do organizations or individuals have against a determined attacker? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group. To help me discuss that question, as well as potential answers and implications for enterprises, I'm speaking with Alan Woodward of the University of Surrey. Alan, thanks very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. A lot of people are acting surprised that the NSA has been aggressively working to gain access to firewalls and VPNs. I'm surprised that people are surprised. It's rather like when the original Edward Snowden revelations came out. Everybody act very shocked about it all. Gosh, the NSA does electronic intelligence gathering. Well, read their website and that's exactly what their mission is. They're a signals intelligence organization. So the modern form of signals is the internet. So not surprisingly, they're looking for all sorts of ways of how they can gather intelligence. And I have to say, I think there will be many signals intelligence organizations doing exactly the same thing around the world. I was told early on in my career that if the U.S. was doing it, Israel was probably doing it, France might be doing it, Russia might be doing it. I think there's an element of if a country claims it doesn't want to do it, then I don't really believe them. Secondly, if they start to complain about somebody else doing it, it probably means they just don't have the capability and they wish they could do it. So I think there's an element of playing politics with it and international politics when actually it all comes down to the fact that any government wants to be forearmed before they enter any situation. And the bottom line is intelligence gathering stops wars and it helps governments protect their position, which is what the people of most country would want, I would think. Definitely. Now, one of the questions I think to have come out of this, there's been a lot of questions about what the responsibility of governments who have possession of vulnerability information and aren't necessarily just finding it, but you know, perhaps hiring former employees of Cisco to help them take apart these routers. So I've read. Um, one defense against that, as you mentioned, is potentially as the UK government has done with Huawei, is to say, we will consider using your devices, but we're going to tear them apart. We want to see every piece of source code so that we can do a firmware review. A lot of people are suggesting Cisco could have spotted some of this stuff if they'd had a better source code review program. What do you think about that? Is that something we need to demand more of from our vendors? It's an interesting perspective because countries fall into one of two camps at the moment. They say, we're not going to use a certain country's vendor's equipment um, in the same way Australia did, the US have done. Or you take the UK approach, we say, we're just going to crawl all over it. That relies on two things. One, you've got the capability, you've got the sovereign capability to do it. And secondly, the vendor allows you to do it. I suspect one of the consequences of all these revelations recently is that people will start asking U.S. vendors to do it if they're not U.S. companies or, you, you know, they're not U.S. government agencies. But also it's interesting that you have to look at where in the supply chain the code was altered. And I don't think it was probably done when it was actually within, say, take Cisco as an example, when it was within their gift. So I suspect some of this stuff got introduced somewhere along the supply chain. So things were probably unboxed and, um, you know, reprogrammed and then boxed back up and shipped off. Because I can't believe that Cisco are that poor at, at reviewing their own code, that they don't spot when something's changed. At least if they do, then it means they've got very poor source control going on. So a lot of unanswered questions there. And 
a fair bit of, I think, existential despair is what I'm hearing a little bit of in terms of how are we supposed to keep ourselves secure? Well, yeah, I mean, the point is, if you're buying technology to keep yourself secure, and you have your own government apparently undermining it, people are going to sort of throw out their arms and say, well, what's the point? Well, there's kind of two points. One, you've got to make some effort. And the big lesson out of all of this is there's no such thing as 100% security. And you can guarantee if your own government's doing it, somebody else is doing it as well. So, you know, be prepared for the fact that what you buy may have flaws in it and you've got to do your due diligence. Don't just rely totally on going to your local equipment vendor and assuming if they say it's all secure that it is. You've got to have some expertise on hand that's able to do the due diligence and know when flaws are found or when people suspect there's a problem or when some of the underlying technology that's being used in that equipment really is no longer thought to be secure. I mean, if something relied on RC4 encryption, would you still use it? MD5, you know, you've got to know when some of these things are considered to be getting to the point where they're insecure. And hence, if a vendor's still using them, and they will, they'll keep sweating the asset as long as they can. They're driven by the profit motive. Why would they take the responsibility for it? In some ways, you have to take some responsibility yourself. But having said that, of course, for the small to medium-sized businesses, that's a really big ask because they just don't have that kind of capability. And that's where they probably need to call on some external expertise. And don't assume that the technology is the complete answer. It's the knowledge that goes with the technology that actually is the complete answer. And is there a great or potentially great case to be made here for cloud computing sorts of maneuvers where you remove yourself from that, it's an old box, what is my level of risk by hanging on to it question? Well, it's very interesting because I was talking to someone about this only last night in that cloud computing is a bit of a double-edged sword because it brings with it all its own security concerns. It certainly removes this particular angle. But of course, we're now finding that in cloud computing, on multi-tenanted systems, for example, we're finding that there are methods of even encryption key recovery that can go on through shared memory, for example. The number of papers come out this year where people have shown that shared access to certain cloud utilities, certainly if you're using it as platform as a service, then that gets a bit tricky. And also, I think some people where they've got mission critical things, they have to look very careful at the service level agreements they've got because we've seen, you know, take Delta Airlines or BT or someone like that, only in the last couple of months, they've seen things as simple as power outages take great swathes of their computing power out of commission. So it's making people think twice, but it turns sort of the argument for capital spend into one which is more of an expense item. And that's a lot more attractive to businesses because having run IT departments, I can tell you that, you know, you get to the point you say, well, look, you know, this firewall, these routers are really end of life. We really need to buy some new ones. And chief executive is going to say, we, can't we just put it off for another year? And being a large capital item, they do. The trouble with internal IT is it's seen as a cost center. And the trouble when you're seen as a cost center, you kind of last in the queue. And that's a bad thing for security. How certain are we that the equation group is the NSA? I think most people are reasonably certain. I mean, if you took this to a criminal court and you had to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, I think it would probably fail. But in a civil court where it's on a balance of probabilities, I think people are relatively certain that the stuff that Shadow Broker have recently dumped is pretty much the same or from the same stable as all the original equation group stuff. The thing that has not been proven is that it is actually NSA. There's kind of this leap of faith that, oh, well, yes, it's considered by many is the phrase that's used. I've seen no definitive proof there. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests it might well be the NSA to do with the Snowden leaks, but um, you never know. And even if it were the NSA, as we said before, they're doing their job. It suggests that they're doing their job rather well. But of course, somebody else has had this since 2013. 
And now they're dumping it out into the public. So what have they been doing with it in the meantime? Let's suppose, for example, it was, say, the Russians. That means the Russians also knew about these weaknesses. And you can bet your bottom dollar that they were exploiting them too. Without a doubt, yes. And we see there's a botnet composed of, I think, thirteen or 15,000 pwned Cisco PIX firewalls based on some of the same vulnerabilities that have come to light, which I think were patched. But obviously, a lot of old boxes haven't been patched or there just aren't patches available. It's quite interesting that, I mean, you know, this comes back to this business about you buy equipment, you buy technology, but you don't sometimes even have the basics of the knowledge to set it up. There were some great showdown searches being done where there, I can't remember, there were several terabytes of data on the internet, which are on MongoDB, and they don't even have a password on the database. There are remote RDP systems up there without any password being set, all on exposed ports on the internet. So people are doing some really silly things. So it's not surprising that those sort of second order things like maybe having slightly older equipment is also out there as well. People don't have the understanding of what's happening to some of this and how important it might be to move on. And the PIX stuff, I mean, people have thought for a number of years it's been very outdated, but you know there are tens of thousands of them out there. Somebody says, well, it works. Why would we change it? Because nobody has been going around saying, oh, you shouldn't be using PIX systems. There's not been some great clamor to say it's a broken set of protocols. It's one of those things where unless something is shouted loudly enough, quite often the community in general don't hear it. Well, Cisco reissued its security alert and said, we've said this before, but we think we might need to say it again. Yes, several times. And that's the point. I mean, you know, it's quite interesting. There are so many security alerts come out as well that it's almost like you need a kind of a tiered system of some sort that says this is really important. You really, really need, you know, what do they say on uh, Twitter is the in case you missed it. <laughs> Perhaps they need to put it out several times. You just start, yes, ranking by severity versus attention span. Exactly. Because if you're an IT director, you've got these things coming at you all the time, especially you've got multi-vendor systems. There are security alerts all over the place from your software and your hardware. And trying to keep everything patched and up to date is a non-trivial task in a significant enterprise or even in a small to medium-sized enterprise. So you can see how some of these things people say, oh, well, I'll put that to the back of the queue. With something like this, maybe Cisco, maybe it suggests as well that Cisco themselves thought it wasn't too big a problem. Well, they'd urged everyone to upgrade, and I think they thought that was the end of their responsibility then. The trouble is, you see, people aren't daft, and they know that the vendors are going to be saying, oh, yes, we really think you should upgrade now, because, of course, they want them to. They want them to buy new equipment. So there's this sort of tension between listening to the advice that the vendor is giving you about how advisable it is to upgrade versus the vendor's own motive to want to make some more profit. It comes back to the due diligence thing, and maybe independent advice is the way to go. Alan, thanks very much for your time today. It's a pleasure. For ISMG, this is Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.